there are no bridges, no roads, no marked paths, or even signs. And yet to cross it, it's only 100 miles, which is 160 kilometers. It's a jungle, literally. It has wild boar, jaguar, poisonous snakes, all the other things that go along with the jungle. But that's not all it has. The real scary stuff? Drug smugglers, poachers, guerrillas, paramilitaries, criminals. They're all in there too, in the jungle. Now, this may not sound like a place that you want to visit in particular, yet you're going to be forced to deal with it one way or another if you plan to ride the Pan American Highway from Ushuaia to Alaska or the other way around. It's called the Darien Gap. And today we're going to talk about the Darien Gap, and in particular, one man's adventure to find a a rather unconventional way to get him and his bike through this infamous stretch of jungle wilderness that is as equally dangerous as it is undeveloped. I'm Jim Martin. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lamphere. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rush. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. This is Bernard Smith. You are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. The Pan American Highway is known as the longest motorable road in the world, according to the Guinness Book of Records. And it's a popular route for many overland travelers, especially motorcyclists. It can be as long as 30,000 miles, that's 48,000 kilometers, depending on what route you choose going through Canada and the U.S. Normally, popular routes are closer to 19,000 miles, which is about uh, 30,000 kilometers. Now, adventures often start in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, and finish in Ushuaia, Argentina, or reversed. But there's no official route in North America as far as where the road goes. Now, as you try and cross over between Panama and Colombia, on the border of Central and South America, you come to the Darien Gap. Now, it's just over 160 kilometers long, which is 99 miles, roughly, and about um, 50 kilometers or 31 miles, roughly, wide. It's jungle, mountains, swamps, and rivers. In the Darien Gap, there's no roads. There's only footpaths and trails and rivers. 
There's exotic wildlife like jaguars and wild boars, venomous snakes, and, and the other things that make up the jungle. And making this jungle even more dangerous over and above the wildlife and its remoteness and the other problems you'd find there are the drug smugglers, poachers, guerrillas, paramilitaries, the, the murderous outlaws. They all use the jungle as cover. And it's also home to indigenous peoples. Um, there's a couple of tribes there, the Ambira Wunan and the Kuna, if I think if I, if I pronounce that correctly. So the reasons behind the lack of the development for it are sort of varied. From the indigenous people's point of view, they worry that their habitat's going to be ruined if somebody puts a road up through it. But also, there's this natural barrier that it creates between North and South America. And there's evidence that says that gap, that barrier, has prevented diseased cattle, which is, uh, you know, can cause foot and mouth disease from spreading into Central and North America. There's also concerns for protecting the rainforest, keeping its natural biodiversity intact. And of course, then there's always the threat of a road providing a a conduit for drug trafficking and all the violence and everything else that goes along with it. Either way, there is no road. There will likely be no road, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, there's been attempts to build the road in the past through that chunk of jungle, like in 1971 and 72, but it was stopped due to environmental concerns. Now, there are many people that have explored the Darien Gap and crossed it with vehicles. It's already been done numerous times. Like To give you an idea of how bad this stretch is to go through with a vehicle, the first successful crossing with a vehicle was in 1960. There was a Land Rover and a Jeep, and they moved at a snail's pace at about 650 feet an hour. That's about 200 meters an hour. It took them nearly five months to cross the gap. And they chopped their way through by hand. They crossed streams. They made bridges out of palm trees as they went. But even though they did that, much of the crossing was done on riverboats. So they technically didn't cross over with, uh, with just land. Between 1971 and 73, the first fully overland crossing was done by Ian Hibble on a bicycle. And then in 1975, Robert Webb made the first motorcycle crossing. And between 1985 and 1987, the first vehicle to do a land crossing was made using a Jeep by Lauren Upton and Patty Mercer. That took them 741 days. Then they went back again in 1995 to do the gap on Rocons. If you don't know what a Rocon is, it's almost like a like a mini bike on steroids, except that it drives both wheels and they're incredible machines and they'll just go over anything. But you sort of paddle along with your feet, uh, quite small machines, certainly suitable for something like that. Now, for you to cross with your motorcycle, it's not going to be quite so bad. You're not going to have to spend 700 days in the bush uh, pulling your bike through or hook up with somebody with a four-wheel drive or at Rocon. There's other ways to get around. The modern ways are to fly around. Um, There's several airlines that you can put your bike on and fly around. Um, Or you can get on one of the boats that go there. The the one you hear talked up a lot in motorcycle circles is called the Stallrat. And um, that's a, a boat that's run back and forth there. And apparently it's not a commercial vessel, that one. It'll only hold, uh, I think, 19 motorcycles. It's not a commercial vessel. It's done as a, a, a group life experience uh, type of setup with nonprofit volunteers, and they put all the money back into the maintenance of the ships. So that's an interesting one. But I'll tell you, if you're planning a trip, your best bet is to go to the Horizons Unlimited website, horizonsunlimited.com. That's the website where you'll find all the latest information because this stuff changes from time to time, too. Sometimes there was ferries running and other times there's not. But today we're going to speak with Dylan Wickrama, and Dylan decided to choose a different way to cross the gap. He didn't want to take the traditional ways, and he was looking for, maybe you could say, a little bit more adventure. 
you know, first time when I heard about this missing piece of road in uh, between uh, Panama and Colombia, uh, I was like, you know, I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, I, I, I met another biker. He told me, look, Dylan, it's impossible for you to ride over the way, so you better book a place in one of those boats. And he said, there aren't any official ferries, so you have to make sure that you do that well in advance. And I thought, wow, you know, this is developing into a, a nice little adventure because, you know, as a child, I always wanted to build a raft and uh, sail the ocean. My name is Dylan Wickrama, and uh, right now I'm an author, I'm a, a travel writer, uh, photographer, and uh, what I used to be was a car mechanic, you know, that was my trade. Dylan, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. First of all, what made you decide to do a, a motorcycle trip around the world? Um, I always wanted to travel the world. Uh, that has been one of my uh, childhood dreams. People bury their dreams uh, somewhere along the way, uh, started to build a house and, and you know, live a, a conventional uh, a life, uh, what most people do. And I decided to, you know, dig up uh, the place where I had buried my dreams and, uh, and start to, to, you know, pursue them and then started to live them. So... Uh, as I said, you know, I, I always wanted to travel around the world on a motorcycle. I've been interested in uh, a motorcycle ever since probably yeah, twelve year. As a twelve year old, I was uh, always thinking of traveling the world on a fifty cc motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I got the opportunity uh, many, many, many years later. So you started out in Switzerland, but you're not from Switzerland originally. Uh, no, I'm not. I was born in Sri Lanka and uh, uh, raised in Sri Lanka, but later on I moved to uh, Switzerland. Uh, uh, I've been living in Switzerland for now 16 years. Um, yeah, but I, I consider my, my, my home is uh, right here now. So what was your original plan? What was your idea of traveling the world? Did you, you take a time and say, okay, I'm going to do this in you know, six months or a year and a half or something and then have a specific route? Or did you just head off? Um, I just don't like planning. You know, planning is not uh, my thing. Uh, so when I went, you know, ventured out on this uh, around the world tour, I just did it uh, without much planning. You know, I did not prepare my motorcycle um, I had bought this uh, bike that I was riding. By the way, it was a, a BMW 1150 GS Adventure uh, model. And uh, all I did was, uh, you know, pack my, my, my clothes, you know, into uh, the three panniers that I was carrying, the top box and two panniers. And, uh, and that was it. Um, uh, one box I filled with uh, toys. Uh, because I wanted to, uh, you know, give it as, as gifts to, to, to poor children that I met along the way. Uh, apart from that, I had, I had no other planning. Um, I did not know exactly which direction to, to go. Uh, all I knew was I wanted to go around the world. 
and I called it around the world 360, um, you know, in, in, in degrees. But how long I spent in one place or, you know, which countries I visited were, were secondary. So, so how do you set up your budget for that? You just figure, you just put a whole bunch of money aside and say, okay, I'm going to go until I run out? Um, very much so, because uh, I was running my own business, as I said, uh, and uh, I sold my business um, and invested all that money uh, for my travels. Uh, it was a great investment, by the way. In hindsight, you mean? Um, well, yes. I think, you know, if you... You know, life is about living, right? Uh, it's not about accumulating things. I think, you know, uh, we people, we are made to, um, you know, uh, move around. I think, you know, right at the beginning, we were nomads. Uh, you know, somewhere along the line, we started accumulating things. You know, we started accumulating so much. Um, at some point in time, we said we could not move because we had, we had accumulated too much. Um, so uh, this fact, um, I understood, um, uh, you know, uh, much later and I thought, yeah, I just want to live a life like a nomad and, 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 and to experience the world, uh, uh, as it should be and as we made to be, you know, I think, you know, from the nature, we supposed to be roaming around the world and, and seeing things and experiencing things, uh, rather than, uh, you know, looking for comforts all, all the time. Um, so, you know, without plans, I start, I set off, uh, without maps, you know, didn't never read any, uh, guidebooks, uh, anything like that. So pretty much I wanted to discover the world like, uh, yeah, like all those, those, uh, early, um, uh, you know, seafaring people, uh, like Megalan or Marco Polo or, um, Columbus, um, you know, you name it, you know, they just went out. And they wanted to discover the world. Uh, they wanted to see things uh, with their own eyes, without really, you know, following anybody else's uh, footsteps. And that pretty much was my plan. From Switzerland, where did you point your bike? Um, first of all, I did a kind of a, a test ride uh, towards Russia. Uh, I went to Saint Petersburg and went through. Uh, South Scandinavia back to Switzerland and uh, you know that ride was more or less uh, to see, figure out if I had everything um, you know if I needed everything because uh, you know here I'm riding a, a motorcycle uh, which was made in Europe and I had no idea whether I could buy parts or you know if I needed anything else extra uh, to carry um, so when I got back I I knew yeah everything is was working good, you know, I had my, you know, cooking equipment um, and my tent. Um, so I started heading uh, where it was warmer, uh, <laughs> like, um, you know, through Eastern Europe uh, down to Turkey. And then uh, my idea was to go through uh, Africa all the way down to uh, South Africa. But of course, you know, that, that plan also changed uh, when I reached uh, Tanzania, um, well, uh, close to uh, Tanzania and, um, and, uh, and Kenya, uh, because you know, I went through South Sudan and I came to this crossroad. Um, if I turned right, it went towards Tanzania. If I turned left, it went to Kenya. And I didn't know which way to go. 
so I tossed the coin and decided which way to, uh, you know, uh, which was my, my direction um, and, and the coin fell for uh, Kenya. So I started heading towards Kenya and then Ethiopia and towards, uh, towards um, Arabian Peninsula. Uh, so I worked my way through Arabia towards India and then I went and visited my you know, home country where I was born and raised for 16 years, uh, spent six weeks with my mother and my brothers and, you know, my relatives and enjoyed that country and enjoyed the food because I love curries, by the way. You know, it's not something that you uh, could easily find here in Europe. Uh, not the way that, you know, we cook in Sri Lanka. Um, and after that, uh, I headed towards uh, Southeast Asia, traveled quite extensively uh, through Cambodia, uh, Thailand, Laos, and uh, Malaysia, and through Indonesian islands, I came to uh, Australia. And yeah, so I was, once I reached Australia, I was uh, yeah halfway around the world. With changing your routes, do you have to change your visas that you've set up as you go? Um, well, changing my visas, I think uh, I did not have to get too many visas, uh, you know, prior to entering countries. I mean, there were only very few countries, you know, which required uh, having a visa before you enter the place, um, such as uh, Sudan or South Sudan, um, Ethiopia, India, and, and places like that. But most of the countries, you know, you could just arrive at a uh, arrive at a border and uh, you know um, pay couple of dollars and, and, you know, they would stamp your passport. It was easy as that. But it was more difficult for your motorcycle because, you know, uh, since you're traveling with a bike, you have to have uh, something called the carnet to passage, uh, a document that would enable you to uh, import a motorcycle temporarily into a country without having to pay the duties. So uh, that was quite complicated to get in uh, in Switzerland because um, once they found out that I was going to Egypt, they said I have to put down 400% of the value of the motorcycle as a deposit, mm-hmm. um, which was um, a considerable amount. Um, but luckily, you know, they said, yeah, once you're through uh, Egypt, write us and, you know, give us the necessary papers or send us photocopies and uh, we will reimburse you uh, the rest and they would only keep like 100%. Well, it was, it was, you know, a good deal. You're really winging it, like a, in a real adventurous sense. I mean, not having the, everything planned out, knowing exactly what country you're rocking up to a border and saying, okay, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to go through. That's right. Yeah. I was just reading uh, some of my uh, notes that I made, you know, um, while I was traveling. So I came across this, uh, these notes um, I, I made before entering Syria. That was 2010, quite close to 2011. Um, and those days, you know, Syria was a, was a you know, quite a, an okay place to travel. Uh, but when I entered uh, the Syrian embassy in uh, uh, Ankara, and asked them if I could get a, a visa. And they said, sorry, you know, you have to go to your own country to, to get a visa. I mean, you know, on the r- road, 
you will not uh, you will not get a, a visa but they said you know you might get it at the border so you know i didn't know if i'm going to uh if i if i was able to continue with my tour like you know imagine you know come to the the border and you get stranded and you know they say okay you can't you can't enter um but luckily after waiting there for you know quite a few hours i got a visa um but uh, there was you know i think probably nowadays you can't travel through syria at all i mean there are a number of countries you know which uh, uh, traveling has become quite uh, difficult like i also heard now uh, thailand is one of those places um because they are restricting uh, foreigners entering thailand with own vehicles uh, you know in those days it wasn't an issue at all you just went there over the border you did not even need a carney to enter thailand uh, as far as i remember you know you just uh, they just stamped your passport and you know you had to fill a couple of other forms and uh, and you were there now this was 2010 to 2013 is that correct that's right yes so you're sort of winging it which means your expenses can be anything i mean uh, even if uh, you plan your trip your expenses still can skyrocket out of control what's your turn back point do you have a amount of money that's in your bank where you all of a sudden say okay when i hit that amount i'm going home or or do you just figure you're just going to do this thing no matter what it takes you know um i never check my bank account you know i ha- i i i had two bank accounts in one account i had my money and in the second bank account i had enough money to buy a ticket uh, back home so i was just basically uh, you know riding around the world until my money ran out uh, the idea was to come back home uh, once that was gone um, so it was as simple as that so i was able to i mean you know i never had a budget you know i know a lot of travelers they say um, i can only spend 20 dollars a day uh, so they're not going to spend over $20 no matter what happens and i didn't do that you know i i was living cheap anyway uh you know i never went to restaurants uh, not a drinker i did not go partying i just wanted to discover the world you know i just wanted to you know experience some adventures uh while traveling so you're so, not even looking at your bank balance you're not even paying attention to what you're spending each day you're just sort of living the way you live that's right exactly exactly so it like after after three years i got a uh, a message from my bank saying your know, funds are really low so uh, that's when i realized uh, okay uh, it's I'm, i'm i'll be going back home very soon <laughs> Your bank is also very caring obviously because my bank would never tell me that my funds are getting low. I'll just get there and try the card and they'll say there's nothing there. I'm sorry sir, step aside next in line. <laughs> uh no what what happened was uh, I think you know I was trying to uh, draw out a large amount and I wasn't getting it so I knew uh, and and that was the the message that I got. Right. Uh, like uh, no you know this much money you don't have in your bank account. <laughs> <laughs> so do you get worried at that point? I mean, do you have a backup plan or at least a an end of trip plan where you say, okay, when it's all done, this is what I'm doing? Not really. You know, uh I I am a great believer in uh myself uh because uh, I I I you know, I you know, I'm a I'm a good worker and I'm not scared of scared to work. 
uh, if worse come to worse, you know, I, all I have to do is to come back home and, you know, find a job and start working to earn my money. Uh, as It was as simple as that. And you're a mechanic, so I mean, that's fairly easy to do. You're, you're going to be in demand anywhere you go. Exactly. I mean, really, yes. you could have worked on the road doing that as well. Um, well, the first mechanic job that I, uh, I, I got offered was in, 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 uh, in Egypt. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I repaired, uh, you know, while staying in this hostel, uh, you know, there's something happened in, in Egypt. Uh, I can't, you know, I don't know how much time we have for this interview. But in Egypt, I was, uh, I, I, I went to Sudan and they sent me back. Uh, it's a long story. Uh, because, you know, I did not have my passport with me. So I, I spent in a place called Aswan uh, longer, than I, longer than I anticipated. So um, they, they are, you know, got to know some locals and, you know, they discovered that I was a mechanic and you know, I was, you know, doing some, you know, good, good work. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, there started uh, cars turning up in front of this hostel where I was staying and they were saying, they were saying yeah, can you repair this and can you repair that? And I even had a manager <laughs> who, was, who was, you know, earning a few, few bucks um, um, from, my, from my work uh, just because, you know, he was bringing his, his friends and, you know, relatives and whoever had, had, had a problem. And in those countries, you know, you always find a broken cast, of course. So, you know, you're not going to earn uh, big money there. Uh, but... Once I got back, I knew you know, there was a job waiting uh, for me in Switzerland. Uh, in fact, after three and a half years one, uh, coming back to Switzerland, I only sent one application and uh, I, I found a job, uh, a good job, which I was uh, very, very happy, um, happy about. And, you know, I, I did that for one and a half years. Um, but in the end, uh, it wasn't good enough for me. And uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm living uh, a, a completely different life to a, to a mechanic. Well, it started jumping out of the story for a minute. What was it like to come back and work for someone else when you'd had your own business before that? Uh, what is it like to come back to my job? No, what is it like to come back and work for someone else? I mean, you left, you, you had your own business, you sold it, you wanted an adventure, you know, your, your life got changed by your adventure and you come back and you're working for someone else. What was that like? Um... Actually, it was uh, a carefree time because uh, running your own business means, uh, you know, you are investing a lot of time uh, even after those eight and a half hours, uh, you know, you spent in your garage. You know, you have to do your books and you have to uh, worry about, uh, you know, you know, future plans, how to expand. And, you know, so many, so many worries as a, as a, as a businessman, you know, if you are doing your own thing. Uh, I think uh, becoming a, an employee is the easiest, uh, easiest thing that you can do. I mean, you know, I can understand that if you have a bad boss or, you know, as someone to boss you around, it's not the most desirable uh, thing if you are, a, you know, independent person, if, you're, if you love your freedom. Um, but uh, it, it didn't bother me at all. I, I was, uh, I, I enjoyed it quite uh, yeah, pretty much because, you know, at the end of the day, you, you got your pay and, you know, you didn't have to worry about anything else. So you had more time uh, for yourself. And it wasn't the case when I was running my own business. Um, yeah. Well, you ended up in the Americas. Did you ship your bike or you fly it? 
I shipped it from Adelaide to Vancouver. Um, so, like, you know, shipping the bike is always a, a bad thing. Like, uh, you know, you've been traveling with that, with your, uh, you know, your bike is your companion, your friend, you know, it carried you. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your bike is in a, in a container, you know, sailing the oceans. And, uh, you know, you, you, you don't have bags to carry anything. So I ended up landing in, uh, in, uh, in, in New Zealand with two plastic bags, I remember. Uh, so, so, um, yeah, so I shipped the bike. So it, it was always a, a, a struggle to see my motorcycle on a ship. Um, but you know, Canada was, a, was a quite an easy thing. I mean, you know, you, we talked about the carne and, and, and visas and all that. Um, you know, when I arrived in Canada, I, uh, I lost all, you know, my, my old passports and all, all, the, all the, the documents of the bike somewhere in, in Seoul. Um, so there I was uh, without any papers and I got a message saying your motorcycle has arrived, uh, come and pick it up. So, uh, you know, I would be the, yeah, um, you know, um, big worry in my mind. I went to the the, the port authorities and uh, I told them the story and they said, Oh yeah, fill this form and, uh, and, you know, pay this amount and, you know, you got your bike and it was amazing. I was, and it, you know, I mean, the most incredible thing that, you know, to me, because I knew how hard it was to get that bike out uh, in India or in Sri Lanka, my own country. Um, or once it arrived in, in Australia, how, how difficult it was because, you know, you had to clean that motorcycle uh, you know, thoroughly because the Australian authorities, they didn't want any germs, uh, you know, coming with your freight. Um, but Canada was, was a, was a quite a, quite a, an okay thing. So what did you do? Head North or South? Uh, I wanted to head South, but, uh, but then, uh, you know, something happened. Uh, one of my, uh, my cousins, um, she was, uh, terminally ill and her dream was to go to Alaska and uh, so she said oh you have to send me some photos of, of Alaska and and I couldn't refuse that and what so time- instead of south I started going north uh, so I went to Alaska just uh, so that I could just send you know photos to my dying cousin what time of year was that um, oh, what month was it? I think, uh, around June, July. Oh, so you had the LA. summer, the, the good months to go up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you don't want to be up there uh, when it's horrible <laughs> and rainy. Most, huh? most riders don't. There are some that do, and it's, it's rather <laughs> bizarre, but, but most riders won't. You, you want to avoid that with two wheels, you right? I'm not that adventurous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go away. Coming up next, we're headed to the Darien Gap right after this message. In some cases, one of the best compliments you can give some riding gear is that you forgot you were wearing it or that it was installed on your bike while you're riding along. 
And that's what I get with my Aerostitch Darien jacket and an 81 pants. The design of the jacket and pants, they just don't get in my way. They feel right. They fit right. And that allows me to focus more on the road or the trail or whatever else I'm doing rather than what I'm wearing and, and something that doesn't feel quite right. If you're in the market for a riding suit, jacket, or pants, you owe it to yourself to have a look at Aerostitch, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And of course, always use that forward slash ARR because it lets them know you come from Adventure Rider Radio, but also it's going to get you 10% off your order or if you're a repeat customer, free shipping. So make sure you always go to that URL. Tough, well-made gear suitable for everyday riding or round-the-world trips. And some of the top riders proudly wear Aerostitch gear www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. But then you turn around once you get to Alaska and you head down south. That's right. You end up going all the way down to, through Mexico, down to the Darien Gap. But your story changes here from most people who do that route. Now, most people who do that route, when they get to the Darien Gap, they, they either arrange with an airline to fly it, maybe they put it on one of the boats, but you chose a different route. So when you got to the Darien Gap, first of all, did you have a plan in mind? Was there something you thought out in advance? Uh, not really, because uh, as I told you, I didn't know much about the world uh, I wanted to learn about the world while traveling. So, um, you know, first time when I heard about this missing piece of road in uh, between uh, Panama and Colombia, uh, I was like, you know, I didn't know what to do. Um, you know, I, I, I met a, a Canadian guy, he's the one who told me this, um, another biker uh, who's a, a good friend of mine right now. Um, he, he told me, look, Dylan, it, it's impossible for you to, you know, uh, you know, ride all the way. So you better, you know, book a, a place in the, in, in one of those boats. Um, and they, he said, you know, there aren't any official, uh, ferries. Uh, so you have to, you have to make sure that you do that well in advance. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, this is developing into a, a nice little adventure because, you know, as a child, I always wanted to build a raft and, uh, you know, sail the ocean. Uh, so it was more uh, um, the situation that, you know, gave me this opportunity to, to do more adventures. Um, so I decided to build myself a raft rather than, you know, find a friendly captain who, who would agree to take me to, um, towards Colombia. Now, hang on, just stop right there for a second. You, you decided to build a raft? <laughs> I mean, when, when riders are going there, they don't look at raft. I've never heard of raft being on the list of choices. Where on your, on your list did raft show up? And did, did you consider that? I mean, there's so many things there. What on earth made you think you could, you could build a raft and do that? Um, you know, I'm a, a pretty creative person. I think, uh, you know, I wanted to do this, tra you know, this, this whole adventure by myself. I mean, sure, I took the, the uh, container ship to ship my motorcycle from, um, from Adelaide, from Australia to, to, to Vancouver. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if, if ever you can do something outrageous, like, you know, building a raft and do your, if you can go around the, the dairy and this, this, this problem spot, 
uh, by yourself. Wouldn't it be a great adventure? You know, this is the way I, I you know, I thought in those days. Um, I mean, it wasn't just to save money or anything like that. I mean, you know, I think I, I probably spent more money building that raft than, uh, than you know, uh, I could have found, found a, 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 there, are, there are a couple of boats, I think, taking, uh, going from Panama to, to Colombia. One is Stahlratte or something, a German uh, uh, sail ship. Um, but uh, I think, you know, probably for $1,000, I think you, you could have, you know, taken a, taken a boat. But of course, you know, having said that, it wasn't easy finding one of those boats because uh, they weren't readily available. You know, you had to spend time in, in this city, a uh, notorious city uh, in north of um, Panama City. It's called Colon. You had to go there and, uh, and I heard stories of people getting robbed and, you know, people getting into trouble and, you know, spending weeks and weeks of, uh, of, of their, their valuable time uh, looking for a boat. So I thought, you know, this is uh, another, you know, great way of of seeing something which you haven't seen. And again, you know, I didn't want to go along the Caribbean uh, or the Caribbean Sea to Colombia, and I chose the the Pacific Ocean. Um, and and nobody had ever heard anything about, you know, whether there were uh, villages existing uh, along the the coast, or you know, where I could if it, if I could buy petrol, uh, or gas. Uh, yeah, so um, I decided uh, to build this raft and 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 uh, enjoy a, a grand adventure. Okay, take us back to that moment when the raft idea came up. Um, I think it was. Uh, I think I was in uh, in Canada. Uh, I met this guy Greg in Canada, and uh, it was one of those uh, coincidences. Um, he, uh, I met him on the road and he told me, uh, you know, once I visited Alaska, I, I could come and visit his, uh, visit him, you know, in his house, uh, somewhere in Nakasp. So together we, you know, once I got back from Alaska, we started uh, riding together around, uh, British Columbia, went to Vancouver Island. Uh, I think he was on, on the Vancouver Island. He told me about, uh, about the the fact that there's no road existing between Panama and Colombia. So um, once I heard it, uh, yeah, I, I I started you know cooking this grand uh, adventure in my in my in my thoughts. Um, you know, probably you know how I'm going to uh, make a raft, and uh, uh, so I began thinking about you know how to build a raft. What was the reaction of the first person you told that you were thinking of building a raft to, to cross the gap? What was their reaction? Oh, well, yeah, he said I'm, I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I think anybody could have figured that was going to come out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that, that's the answer that I got from most people. Uh, but how do you try and convince them that, no, this makes sense to you? I don't know. You know, you don't need to convince other people, right? Uh, I mean, this is the thing, you know. Uh, we need to um, uh, justify our actions to other people. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not a dependent on anybody. I, you know, I, I, I live my own life. You know, I earn my own money. You know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, as long as I don't, uh, uh, I, I'm not becoming a burden to anybody, I think I should be living my life doing the things that I love doing uh, and the way I, I love doing. 
building a raft was a, a, a pretty normal thing to me because you know that gave me the opportunity to do something great and and to experience something that I you know I, otherwise I would never uh, had the chance to experience and so why not um, so you know I ignored uh, a lot of you know people's comments um, and in fact I even kept it as a as a secret I was always telling, yeah, yeah, I'm building a raft, but you know, I'm not going to go on the the Pacific Ocean, but you know, I'm going to do it on a on a river. Um, I, I remember telling this story to a, oh, another friend of mine through Facebook. You know, you're having a chat, uh, and I told him, uh, "Do you really want to know what I'm going to do with this raft?" And I told him, "I'm going to sail over the Pacific Ocean," and he was like, "What? You know, you're crazy." Um, yeah, but uh, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, you have to feel comfortable doing what you do. Uh, and that's exactly what I do uh, and what I have done. Uh, and I think uh, probably what I will do in the future. And so you have this in mind, you arrive down there. How do you find, I mean, you're, you're riding on a motorcycle. You've got no gear with you to build a raft. How do you organize this thing? How do you orchestrate the building of a raft? Uh, you know, I did everything by myself. I never, you know, YouTubed or Googled or uh, tried to get experts' um, ideas how to build a raft. Uh, I'm a mechanic myself. Uh, you know, I'm pretty uh, good engineer. I've done quite a few um, things uh, in the past. You know, try to build things by myself, figure out things by myself. I remember watching the ocean each time I was riding along the west coast of the U.S. all the way down to California. Uh, you know, whenever I saw the ocean, I was watching the waves. Uh, I was, you know, watching how high they can be, you know. Uh, so I was like, like, you know, trying to figure out, oh, how am I going to build a raft now that it will that, that it not capsize, it will not break, you know. At the same time, use my motorcycle to power the raft forward. So, you know, like each night, you know, I spent hours and hours, hours, like, you know, kind of like daydreaming, uh, you know, drawing sketches and, uh, and planning, you know, until I came and I arrived in Panama, uh, I had enough time to, um, uh, you know, keep myself busy uh, building the raft in my head. And what was your plan to build the raft? What did you build it out of? Um, well, I used, um, oil drums, uh, empty oil drums. I took 10 of them and, uh, made, uh, like two rows, uh, um, welded them together and then, you know, connected the, uh, uh, those two rows, like a catamaran. It became a, uh, you know, it's not a, I didn't build a, a raft. I built a catamaran. <laughs> Did you find a shop to rent or something like that and use their equipment? Um, not really. I mean, you know, I knew that, you know, I had to find a, a place to, uh, a workshop to build. So when I arrived in Panama, I met three sailors. They all had, you know, sailboats and uh, they started helping me. Uh, um, you know, once I told them my idea, you know, they said, oh, wow, you know, Dylan, you've got a great idea. Here, you know, we'll help you. So um, they started helping uh, to find me a, a workshop. Um, and of course, you know, these three were also not, you know, regular guys. Uh, they were three um, people who got into trouble with the police and, you know, they were literally running away from the Interpol. 
so I had found, you know, a perfect guy to, <laughs> <laughs> to help me build, uh, you know, with my with my adventure. And there's nothing like from the authority side stopping you from doing this. There's no law against it. Oh uh, no, there's no law against it. But uh, of course, uh, you know, once I um, started uh, building it, um, it. Um, uh, you know, only then I started thinking about the authorities. Um, I thought, you know, it's going to be easy enough, but it didn't happen. Of course, um, the authorities, they just laughed at my plans. And they said, uh, you know, you're not going to leave on this, uh, um, leave Panama on this, on this flimsy little raft. Uh, but of course, uh, I decided to do it uh, anyways without their blessing. I mean, you know, I <laughs> left Panama City uh, illegally, um, hoping that I might even get uh, arrested in, in Colombia. Um, but that never happened because I encountered the police a few times. I think, you know, probably you can read the whole story uh, in, in my book. I mean, there are so many, so many beautiful little stories to tell. Um, uh, by the way, yes, I have a book, uh, written a book, which is called When the Road Ends. I mean, you know, you can read in detail about this adventure. The motor for this raft is your motorcycle. How did you put that together? Um, yeah, that, that was a, an easy thing to do because um, um, so my motorcycle is a, is a, a BMW uh, 1150. Um, so it had a, a, a shaft. Uh, so I basically uh, bought a, a secondhand a final drive and I cut it in half, and I threw away the the crown wheel. Um, so it left only the the bearing and the the pinion. So I extended that uh, with a one and a half meter uh, a stainless steel shaft, and at the end of it, I put a, a, a propeller on it. So. Well, for those who aren't mechanically inclined, uh, there, there's quite a bit to take in here and what you've done, and. And there's also the exposure to salt water. I mean, you're, you're talking about a motorcycle that's not meant to be on the ocean. And it's, it's you know, very well known that motorcycles, you know, will corrode like crazy when exposed to salt water in most cases, especially once you start opening things up and, and extending things. Did this work okay for you? Uh, it did. Um, of course, I mean, you know, this is uh, one of the things about uh, BMW motorcycles. I mean, you know, I thought it's going to corrode, um, you know, I didn't think it's going to corrode that much. I put enough faith in the BMW, uh, which proved to be a more, you know, a real good construction. Because um, I mean, even after going through that, uh, that you know, that that adventure, coming back uh, home, uh, you know, things did not um, damage that much. I mean, you know, like the the, the cooling was an issue. Because, you know, on land, you are moving much faster than on water. I was doing something like well, two, three kilometers per hour uh, on, the, on the ocean. Uh, so, you know, when you're moving slowly, it's an air-cooled uh, engine um, that had to be, you know, you had to find solutions to, uh, to, to, to cool the engine. So I had to use, you know, brutally said, um, salt water to, 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 you know, pour salt water over the engines to engine to uh, cool the engine. Um, so, yeah, that was an issue. 
But even then, it wasn't that bad. I mean, uh, like, you know, uh, when I, once I arrived in, uh, in Colombia, I washed it thoroughly and, uh, you know, there, there was no signs of it, of, of, of the bike has been in the ocean. How far did you have to go with the raft and how long did it take you? I thought I could do it in like two weeks, but uh, it took me six weeks. I mean, by the time uh, I ended my uh, my adventure, it had taken six weeks. Uh, and of course, you know, I ran into a huge, huge problems. I went through two storms. Um, and uh, I had uh, problems navigating um, because the currents were so, so strong uh, on the ocean there. Um, because in those days, the, the moon and the, the sun came, came out together. And, you know, that caused a massive tidal current. Um, and uh, I was caught in one of those and, you know, lost complete control of it. Um, and, you know, I was dragged into the deep ocean. Uh, at one point, I think I was like uh, at least 150 kilometers away from the coastline. Um, and it's not a, you know, fun thing to happen, you know, when you're riding the ocean with 10 oil drums and a motorcycle. Well, really, the trip went terribly wrong, didn't it? I mean, it worked out great in the end because you made it, but it, it went terribly wrong. And were there points where you where you thought you weren't going to make it? Um, well, I never thought that I was going to die. Uh, though, um, you know, like, you know, experiencing a storm uh, in, in in the open waters is, is not a not a fun thing, um, but I always uh, knew they you know I'd end up somewhere. I mean, you know, if not in Co- in Colombia, I would end up in Hawaii or <laughs> in, in Philippines or wherever. Um, you know that much faith I had uh, in in this raft and in this uh, whole adventure. Um, but of course, you know, in the end, uh, I made I made it to where I wanted to be. Um, it was Colombia. Um, I mean, uh, at one point, I was I was really lost in the ocean, and thanks to a pod of dolphins, you know, I found my way back to land. Um, a yeah. pod of dolphins. That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, I was I was uh, I was escorted by by a pod of dolphins for for two whole days. Um, so, um, what made you think the dolphins were taking you somewhere? Uh, because that's what they were doing. Um, because, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I've been sp- speaking to experts and, uh, I, I was talking to um, an expert, you know, a dolphin expert, you know, quite recently. And they said, uh, he said, you know, the dolphins lose interest, um, if in, in slow moving things. Uh, in the ocean. I mean, you know, they want to have fun. They like uh, fast moving uh, boats. So, you know, they would follow, you know, if you're, as long as you're moving fast, they'll follow you uh, or, you know, they will be around the, around you. But, uh, but in my case, uh, they were around me the whole time, uh, even though I was doing only like two, three kilometers per hour. 
But what made you think they're actually leading you to land instead of out to sea? Uh, actually, uh, they were not leading me to land. Uh, they took me parallel to land. And um, yeah, they, they took me to a, 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 a current which, which moved towards land. You know, like, you know, currents are working, you know, it's quite difficult to explain. It's um, uh, in that region, uh, where, you know, one current takes you right into the, the ocean, you know, into the deep ocean. And there are other currents which are, which are moving um, in the opposite direction. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you um, 100% if that was intentional. Um, at the side of the dolphins, you know, to do something like that. But uh, that's what they did. Uh, you know, after two days, um, you know, I discovered, hey, I was just, you know, going back towards land. Um, and uh, and they weren't there anymore. Um, so it's a, uh, it, you know, it could be a coincidence. It could be um, a miracle. It depends, you know, whichever you want to see it. You know, it, it saved my life, and and those those beautiful animals. You know, they um, they really did something uh, so that I, I I found land back again. There's a lot of great stories about dolphins saving people, and it's just it's bizarre. And I think it's something that you know we we have trouble getting our head around. Like you say, you you see it with your own eyes, and you think, well, maybe it was a coincidence. It's hard to tell. I mean, it's a, but it's pretty incredible. And in your case, it certainly worked in your favor. While you're at six weeks on the water on this raft, what, what were some of the real low points? Um, loneliness. Um, you know, when you're drifting on a, on a raft, uh, not knowing uh, which direction you should go to, <laughs> it can be a, quite a daunting thing. Um, um, you know, but you know, the, the raft itself kept me busy because, you know, the things were going wrong the whole time. Like uh, uh, things were breaking down. And so and the lack of sleep, that was, that was another thing. Uh, you know, I was you know, totally going crazy because of, of, of the tiredness. Um, but, you know, it, ta- it taught me so much about patience. Um, like imagine breaking down with a motorcycle on land somewhere where there are no people. <laughs> and, and now imagine breaking down with a motorcycle in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, and there's no phone, there's, you know, uh, no help, you know, nothing. Uh, but, but, you know, I managed to learn uh, an unbelievable uh, lessons. Um, um, not that, you know, that I, I, I dislike my adventure or, you know, say, oh, what the hell I, you know, I did. No, you know, I, I saw unbelievable things, unbelievable, unbelievable encounters. You know, we can, I think probably if we continue talking, I think we could go on and on and on uh, for, for a couple of days probably. Uh, and, and so much, uh, so many things, uh, you know, so many new things I was able to experience uh, while I, I, I was on, on this raft. Did you have a form of communication with you, a satellite phone, one of the, the spot check-in devices or an in-reach or something? Uh, not really. Uh, they were all too expensive for me. Um, no trackers, no 
no satellite phones. Uh, I had a somebody gave me a a, a, a radio, you know, one of those uh, the marine radio. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, um, a small radio. I could uh, send a you know mayday signal to someone. Uh, in fact, you know, once I even used it. Uh, but nobody heard me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It's VHF. It's not going to go that far. <laughs> it's not exactly yeah. what I consider a safety device for an ocean crossing for sure. <laughs> I mean, it might be bare uh, minimum, but. Uh... No, but, uh, you know, I, I, I never thought, uh, you know, that I I'd get into, you know, trouble you know, and I never needed it. Um, um, uh, but it was also good uh, like that. You know, and also I, I thought, why do I, you know, if I get into trouble, you know, by doing something uh, like what I did and, you know, getting into trouble um, and calling someone else to say, hey, you know, can you come and, you know, rescue my butt? You know, I think that's not that's not something that I wanted. And if you had something to send out a rescue signal, you feel you would have used it. Yeah, you know. Okay, there were you know my 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 pirate friends you know they even gave me uh, these flares and and you know a few other things you know bits and pieces um, even even those things you know I did not take with me uh, because uh, I had forgotten them. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a one minute break, but we'll be right back with more with Dylan. We're going to talk about fuel capsizing and even get some advice. Renting a bike for adventure riding is difficult unless you deal with a company that knows adventure riders. And what we want, Tour USA is your company. They're located on the U.S. West Coast. They're near Seattle, Washington. And they have rental bikes there that are all equipped for adventure riding. They think that way first. And I like that. All Tour USA rental bikes come equipped with skid plates, crash bars, and Pelican side cases to give the bike the protection you need as an adventure rider. I mean, you don't have to be planning an epic ride to use their bikes, but you can. And that's comforting, isn't it? They can rent you the bike. They can also set you up with rider training. They can set you up with trips and more. It's the whole package from people that know adventure motorcycling. And honestly, I'm surprised how inexpensive it is to rent their bikes. KLRs, BMWs, the whole bit. It's inexpensive. You got to look at it. Then it starts at the KLR sort of and goes up from there. www.tourusa.us. That's www.tourusa.us. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. What did you do for fuel? I mean, six weeks is a long time to run, and you're running your bike. How did you have enough fuel for that? Well, I had 150 liters of uh, of fuel. Um, I didn't know how much fuel uh, I would be needing because that raft was not tested, because there was no time to test. There was no uh, no no real space for testing because uh, I had to build that thing you know, in hiding, you know, I had to keep the whole thing a secret um, from the Panamanian, Panamanian, you know, uh, police forces. So um, I had to basically, you know, launch and get going and hope, you know, that would work. So um, 
I thought, you know, on the way, I might be able to find some fuel somewhere. Um, and nobody knew, uh, you know, if there would be any place to buy fuel. Um, but all I had was just, just hope, um, you know, thinking, yeah, it will, it will end up good. Uh, and the optimism, of course, you know, the, the optimism is a, is a, is a, is a, is a big factor. Um, you know, if you really believe that something is going to happen, uh, something, something good going to come out and something's always going to work out, uh, and it is going to happen. Uh, this is my great belief. I think, you know, optimism is something that we should have as adventurers. Um, otherwise we want, we are not adventurers. Because we are not going to do something uh, and think, uh, okay, uh, I do this adventure, I might not come, and you know, I'm going to die. Um, no, I never doubted that. I always thought I'm going to come back home and I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, survive. Uh, not only survive, I would enjoy the whole uh, adventure. Um, and that's what happened. I mean, and again and again, you know, I found these miracles on, 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 on the, on the ocean, you know, whenever I ran into trouble, uh, there was always something came coming up to, uh, to solve that problem there and then. Um, so, you know, these are the things that, that, uh, helped me to become a stronger person. I think, uh, that's what I also want to, you know, give to people. I want to share my experiences, uh, with the world. Uh, which show, show people how to be positive, how to uh, you know keep away the negative and 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 to, and to succeed uh, with a with a with a positive attitude. You know how much it can help. And it can it it, it acts like an, a magnet um, because uh, you know if you think that oh, something is not going to work out, something, you know, might happen, or oh, this is, this will not work out. So, um, you are, you are, you have already, you know, uh, laying stumbling blocks uh, in your path and you will only stumble. But with a positive attitude, I think, you know, you always, you know, manage to keep calm and, um, and, and, and think clearly and to find solution to problems uh, uh, that would be keep arising and, and, you know, challenging your life, challenging your, your adventure, uh, throughout. So, yeah, I think that's, that, that's a, the, the most important thing. So I did not really worry about, uh, you know, where I find fuel. Um, if I, you know, I mean, the, 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 there's an occasion where, uh, I had no fuel. I was like, you know, running low. And I did not even have money to buy fuel because I had lost uh, money. I mean, you know, again, these are little, little stories, um, but I kept on going. And, um, and, and, you know, a couple of days later, you find fuel again in the middle of the Darien. Did you have a plan for a capsize? Yes. Uh, I had a plan for the capsize, uh, and that would be, I thought, uh, in case of a capsize, uh, my raft would have been in the 
in a in a very stable position. Uh, it would not capsize again. Because <laughs> <laughs> your bike would be your ballast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you just get on the other side of the raft and That's you're good right. to go. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Were, were you sailing part of it as well? Uh, sailing, yes, yes. Um, I had a sail, but and it worked. Uh, you know, as long as the wind uh, was behind you. Um, but of course, it, it it wasn't always the case, and there was no wind uh, uh, much of the time, and uh, uh, the current was too strong. You know, I was I was I was always sailing against current, um, so you know, my my sail did not really bring me much apart from um, serving as a as a sunshade or an umbrella. You caught a lot of this on film. That's right, yes. Yes. Um, I, I made quite a bit of film. I mean, I also lost a lot of films, you know, uh, because of salt and, you know, uh, things damaged my, my hard drives and the computers. So, But I still have uh, enough to, to, to you know, make a good presentation. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, anything that I'm all these, these stories that I'm telling, uh, are, you know, nobody can say, oh, you know, these are all, um, all uh, made up stories. So I, I'm, I'm doing uh, presentations throughout, I mean, I'm, I'm traveling around quite a lot, um, uh, showing my story uh, in videos and, and, and photos that I made uh, while I was traveling. What advice would you give to someone thinking about doing what you did? Um, I think you have to know what your capabilities are. Um, you know, if you want to do adventures, I think, you know, you should, you should go, out, go out and, and, and do it. You know, don't be scared. It's not about uh, doing the, the, the craziest thing uh, you know, or, or, or breaking records. Or it's not about, um, like, you know, getting the, the media attention or the public attention, uh, see how cool you are. It's about, you know, making experiences. Uh, it's about challenging yourself. It's about learning something new and to see how beautiful this world is. I think uh, this whole journey changed my life. Um a very different person to what I was. I mean, you know, I, I love fast cars and uh, uh, nice things. And, but I tell you, they are not the most important thing. I think, you know, the most important thing is that, that you get out and experience the world as it is without these boundaries. There are awful lot of good people in the world. If ever you get into trouble, uh, if ever you, you come across uh, difficulties, there will always be someone to help you. I have experienced that even in the Darien jungle uh, or, you know, wherever I've been traveling. So the, the, the biggest thing that you should have is not to fear about how difficult things will be or how uh, disastrous things, things can get, but just go out and, and enjoy it and have a great time. You wrote a book about the journey. Your book concentrates on the Darien Gap. Tell us about the book. Um, this book is not a, I did not write it 
for uh, the motorcycling community. Uh, I wanted to write a book uh, for general public to tell my story because, uh, uh, you know, I have a very unique story to tell because I grew up as a very, very poor kid in a, in a very small country called Sri Lanka. And I dreamed of uh, traveling the world and doing things as a, as a boy, you know. And um, it took me a long time to achieve that. Um, so I'm telling in my book the story of, of this boy who, is, um, who dreamed of traveling the world and, and wanted to see things, experience things. And that, you know, anybody can achieve uh, your, your biggest dream. But the only thing is that, you know, you have to have enough faith and, and positive attitude towards your dream. And you have to just believe that it's going to work one day. So uh, that is the, the, the basic message um, that I want to convey through this book. And it's self-published under Zürcher Publishing. That's uh, my wife. Um, we, we hope that, you know... Uh, few people might get to uh, read that and, and, and enjoy it. Well, there's so much more to the story than what we've talked about. The book is called When the Road Ends. Dylan, great to meet you, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking with Dylan Wickrama, and you can find out more about Dylan, and you can get the book that he's written by visiting his own website, www.ridetoexplore, and that's the number two and no E in explore.com, ridetoexplore.com. The link will be in our show notes. BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com.
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you, the listener. Well, you can uh, do us a favor by dropping by our Facebook page. Remember, we've got two Facebook pages. We've got one for Adventure Rider Radio and one for ARR Raw, two different shows. So if you like both of them, we'd really appreciate it. And don't forget about that other show, ARR Raw, separate show, separate subscription. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the Raw button. And if you can do it, we could certainly use your donation. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the Donate button. Anything $10 or more will get you a sticker sent back at you in the mail, and it goes up from there, depending on how much you donate. Thanks very much. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week. Hi, this is Teach McNeil, and you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 